Welcome back to the JMS Podcast. Welcome, welcome. This is officially the episode that marks the one year of the JMS Podcast existence. That's great. Uh, And I'm happy to have our guest, Nina G, as marking our first year anniversary here. Well, I said anniversary. I'm implying that we're going to do it for more years. I hope so. Uh, The JMS Podcast, we had about... Let's see, Nina G's going to be our 45th guest. And all the guests have been great. And I've learned something every time talking to them. There's always something insightful. And Nina G is definitely insightful. She's great. She's funny. And she has a lot to say. Uh, Nina G, she cracked me up when I first contacted her. Because I sent her a message through Facebook requesting she would like to be a guest on my podcast. And... for the first time ever, she's the first guest to ask me in so little words if I was an asshole. You know, implying that if I was an asshole, she doesn't want to do it. And I was just taken aback at such a bold uh, response off the bat that really shook me. I was like, whoa, uh, I may be an asshole. Holy shit. I didn't, I didn't even think about that. And, uh, and you know, I, I told her to check out the, the podcast and how I, I talked to my guest. And she came back saying that she's fine with it. So it's great. And we I booked her and she's here. And we had a great talk. And I would like to think that the verdict is that I am not a complete asshole all the time. I can't say the same for other times. But so far, I think I'm okay. I think I'm, uh, if there's ever a graph to determine or a measurement of how much of you're an asshole... I think I'm like in the, um, you know, if one being not a, like an asshole involuntarily and 10 being a full on asshole, I think I'm like a, like a four to a five. I don't know. And that also depends on like, uh, different factors, weather, mood, um, retrograde. If you're into that, I have no idea. But anyway, uh, I had a great talk with Nina G. She is great. Uh, she ha- represents quite a bit of great organizations and she is making uh, a lot of great things for example a book she gave me a book of hers that she written illustrated by another comedian uh, Mean Dave and it's a very short sweet book about uh, learning disabilities and uh, and what's great about it is it's very informative and it's geared towards children and for me I love children books because uh, it makes my brain work less when I read and it has pictures. That's great. It has stick figures. I think it's cool. Most of my storyboards are stick figures. So I don't judge. That's awesome. Um, I feel like... Uh, I'm pretty sure I can make like an art gallery where I just draw stick figures and call it a work of art. I wouldn't be surprised. I should probably work on that. Anyway, but her book, it's great. Uh, I'm attaching the links to where you can buy her book on the description of this podcast episode. Also, her website and, uh, I believe, other stuff she's offering. Uh, and she she's so great to talk to. I, I recommend to check her out if she has any upcoming shows. She also runs a, 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 one, a one-person show, so you got to check that out and, and stuff like that. All right, but before we get there, I just want to say, wow, one year has passed since I started this podcast. And pretty much I started this podcast on my birthday. So it was just my birthday that came by. I am 26 years old. And 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 you know what? Uh, surprisingly so, I'm okay. When I turned 25th, I panicked. 
I was like, I'm not doing nothing with my life. What am I doing? And for some reason, I decided to do a podcast, which I don't regret. I learned a lot from my guest about life, about about how they work and what inspires them, how creative they are. And in some ways, I feel that fueled my sudden explosion of creativity during my my 25th year. You know, 20 uh, when I turned 25, I, I really started hammering on uh, more music, more comedy. Um, and stuff like that, which really made my my twenty fifth year really eventful, and so on. So in some ways, I I got to be thankful for this podcast and its guests and supporters for me turning twenty six and not feeling so panicked. I'm like okay, like I'm, I think I'm reaching a, a plateau, and uh, I didn't really celebrate. It's like you're twenty six. Like nobody really. It's not cool to have birthday parties anymore, right? I mean, once you turn twenty five, that's it. That's it. Like maybe once you turn thirty or, or like in the forties, but nobody gives a shit if once you turn twenty six, you know. So, so it wasn't so bad. Uh, how I spend it? Well, I went to one of my favorite spots and I saw the sunset, and then I decided to catch a movie. Uh, of course, by myself because I like watching my movies by myself in a theater where there's nobody in there. Uh, I think that's one of the best experiences. Like it makes me feel like they made this movie in this comfortable room and chair just for me. To witness this so I, I do find uh, comfort in solitude and uh, that that was pretty much my 26th birthday uh, celebration and I'm actually very happy with it I'm 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 just thinking ahead now it's like all right 26 I the future the future is coming it's here future is here so I gotta work on that hopefully my last semester of SJSU once I finish that then we'll see where we get there um, but once again, one year of doing this podcast has been great. Thank you to all those who subscribed, all those who supported me, all those who complimented me, all the guests for coming on. Uh, truly, I, I, I don't think I have words to fully express how grateful I am of, of interacting with all of you. And pretty soon I'm going to have an official website for this podcast. You know, everything was splintered off, you know, the YouTube channel and then the SoundCloud and iTunes. And I'm trying to find a way to condense it all, uh, make it easy for everyone. So um, I have to spend a pretty penny to put together a website and it's coming real soon, ladies and gentlemen, real soon. And so on. Uh, if you don't know already, is this your first episode listening to the JMS podcast? Welcome. Uh, if you dig it, you enjoy it, you enjoy what this podcast is about, Please, uh, you can subscribe it on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, and other podcast uh, sites, I believe. Yes, I know. I don't believe. I know. Also, you can check out the videos I created with the musicians on the YouTube JMS podcast channel. And check out the Facebook page. Um, the Facebook page, I'll be posting more of Nina G's products on there to check out. So please, Facebook JMS podcast. All right, without much further ado, let's go have a chat with Nina G. Doing com okay. I've been doing stand up for about two years now, just about okay. But I've been writing 
for several years. I've been mm-hmm. theaters for a couple times. Okay. And I've just been involved in other stuff. Yeah. Um, but I didn't really take comedy seriously until like two years ago. Okay. Um, and it, for me, I tell people uh, I'm more of a writer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. for me, doing stand-up just helps me with that side of writing. Yeah. That's something I You're not trying to, to grind it out. You're trying to write. You're well, using it as a... I think both. I okay. think both. Like for music as well. You know, mm-hmm. there's certain attributes in comedy writing that I use in songwriting and nice. vice versa. So, mm-hmm. so uh, it's weird. It's a bit unorthodox. Yeah. That's how I do How about you? How long have you been in comedy for? You are, are we starting yet? Or you want to ask me that? Uh, we, we've, I'm already recording. Oh, okay, so, okay. Yeah. Um, so I've been doing comedy, like, my six-year anniversary is coming up in about a month. Six years? Mm-hmm. Wow, how is it? Because I know they say it takes five years to know if you're even funny. Mm-hmm. So you passed that five-year mark. Yeah. And you're still doing it. So I assume you know, you're still digging it. Yes. So what's your secret to, like, you know, not be uh, burned out by it? Yeah, I mean, I think that everybody kind of needs to find their own path in it. And for me, my path really isn't like the traditional comedy clubs. Cause I, and I totally love comedy, but for me, um, I think the stuff that I like to do and the way that I kind of do comedy is um, I, like colleges and more kind of like public speaking things are probably my best area and so so that's really where I focused like you focus on on specific venues yeah okay yeah and so like um like I have a website that really goes more toward um public speaking and professional speaking um but I'm a comedian and I think a lot of the things that I talk about um, especially on disability issues, um, that like like I have a friend who's spe- who's teaching a speech and language class, who um, assigned two podcasts: mine from a stuttering comedian, and another from um, from some other thing that's more professional. And people chose me because I'm a comedian. Uh-huh. And so, like, the message that I bring, <clears throat> if I did it under another venue, people may not be interested. But because it's through comedy, it helps to engage pe- people a little bit better. Right. There's that thing about everybody loves a comedian. Everybody mm-hmm. loves that, that sense of, oh, a, a comedian's teaching something mm-hmm. or saying something. Which I find it, it's a little weird uh, how comedians are... I think it's good and bad. I think more people are paying attention to what comedians are saying now. Yeah. And because of that, a lot of cultural changes are happening. Mm-hmm. And then the vice versa, where a lot of politicians are being ignored. Mm-hmm. And in my head, you know, I thought it was the reverse. Like, we should really pay attention to politicians and what they say. And comedians, they just focus on making something funny. Mm-hmm. But now I feel like th- th- there's a bit of pressure uh, that that comedian has to say something. Important, important. yeah. Important. And I know that you're definitely on that track because mm-hmm. you're. Uh, I want to go a bit into your disability um, uh, comedy team. I forgot what it's mm-hmm. called. The Comedians with Disabilities Act. Act exactly. Mm-hmm. So you seem like you have a very important issue to say. Mm-hmm. Did you start off that way, or was that a transition? You know, I think for a lot of comedians, the first six months to a year, they are developing their voice. I I kind of came into it already having that voice, having had worked in the disability community for a lot of years um, and being part of it. 
that I are like part of when I started doing comedy um, I'd been wanting to do comedy since I was a little little kid like since I was 11 years old it's yeah. been the thing like all the other girls liked Tiger Beat and stuff like that and I was watching did David Letterman. Uh -huh. So like at eleven. At oh yeah. Well, was your parents watching it or was yeah. it you? Um well I had an older brother, so I was exposed that way. But like I remember like there I, I had these stuffed animal pigs, which was like the mama pig and the baby pigs. And when I was eight I named the mama pig Gilda Ratner. And the little pig, Steve Martin, Dan Aykroyd, and Bill Murray. <laughs> so, that's, yeah, that's yeah I've always been a little obsessed with it. And, like, my parents, um, my my parents, even though, you know, they were, like, Italians, uh, Italian-Americans, and so, you know, like, girls, you you overprotect. Yeah. Um, Are they first-generation Italians? No, no. Like, I'm fifth generation on my mom's side, third on my dad's. And they're both full-on Italians? Full-on Italians. What, what part of Italy do um, you have roots in? Genoa and Tuscany. Genoa! Amazing! Yeah. That's where Napoleon's from, right? Napoleon? Well, that's where Columbus, Columbus? is from. I think yeah. Napoleon was from Corsica. Corsica. Is that yeah. by Genoa? Um, it is a little island that's now France, but actually my dad's side, 500 years ago or so they say, who knows, yeah. um, came from there. <laughs> whatever the history books say, right? <laughs> yeah, no, and whatever like the family legend is that has no proof whatsoever. So. Okay, that's amazing, because I have a friend, he's from Italy. Oh, okay. And he's from Genoa. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, well, he's from a, a coastal city close to Genoa. Like, he says it's like 10 minutes away. Mm -hmm. Camagolia. I don't know. Yeah, I, I've never that. Been I apologize there. to the Italians listening in. Yeah, uh, Bafangu. Anyway. That's all I know. So, <laughs> so you're fifth generation Italian. Yes. And a strong Catholic family. Yeah, it was until was. you know they started really screwing up on stuff. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, how was how was your household growing up? Um, I went to Catholic school for seven and a half years. Um, went through all the sacraments and stuff like that. Um. Is this through your teenage years? Through seven and a half was from first grade to eighth grade. And for half of that year, I went to a school specifically for kids who had d dyslexia. Mm -hmm. um, and so part of my experience in Catholic school was that... And can I swear on yeah, this? Okay. Yeah, that's fine. Um, that... Um, I, I fucking swear all the okay, time. Okay, <laughs> perfect. Perfect. Um, that um, having a learning... Disability and stuttering in Catholic school in, in the 1980s, there wasn't a whole lot of access. And my parents wanted me there because we were Catholic and they thought that I'd be safer there, that it'd be a better place. Meanwhile, they had to fight for the uh, accommodations so that I could prove that, you know, like in geography class, um, I would know all the answers, but I couldn't spell them out, but they would mark it wrong and I'd get an F. And so they asked for the uh, accommodations around those things. And Catholic schools were like, well, maybe she's just not s s smart enough and stuff like that. Which I always say in my one-person show, what I say is I don't know why a Catholic school 
would deny a child with a disability an accommodation because I'm pretty sure that Jesus would have said, give the kid a, a fucking accommodation. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, I, think, I think that was the whole point of Jesus' message is you got to accommodate everyone. Be peaceful. Yes. Some people are a little different, but that's mm-hmm. okay. Yeah. Right? Exactly. But it's interesting because in Catholic school, I guess they rely on several thousands of years of having a system. So I think it's a little bit harder to really make a change in that environment, or yeah. But then, but then I think of other institutions that that's related to Catholicism, where they actually are pretty progressive thinking. Yeah, no, exactly. And like this was the Bay Area. I went to school in Alameda and San Leandro, mm. so like they got the hippie shit from the <laughs> nuns there, you right. know. But it didn't trickle down to me. Um, I did go to Raskob learning institution and that's where I was first diagnosed with my learning disability what age was it um I was eight years old okay um and they're on the holy names campus so like in one way catholic school just totally sucked but in this other way there was this fabulous institution that has diagnosed so many kids who are catholic and non-catholic um in the bay area because they've been doing it forever and that's Raskob. Okay. Mm-hmm. And you see you had an older brother? Yes. Did he also go to Catholic school? Um, he, he did for the most part, yes. There were a couple years that he was in public school. And you only have a brother? Yes. Okay. And your parents, what do they do? Um, let's see. My dad worked for the government for a long time, so he worked at the Navy base in Alameda until it closed. Mm. And then after that, he went in the private system. Sector and worked there. Um, my mom did a number of things. Um, like she worked at a at at a vocational school for a long time, and she loved that that work. And she taught and she helped run it. Um, and then once those closed down, um, she started doing real estate. And now my parents in their retirement are both doing that so your your father was in the navy no 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 no. no he, he worked for he, the naval base yeah he's actually hard of hearing so he would have never qualified for mm-hmm. the military but okay. he worked at the base he was a gs 13 when he retired okay uh they i would think that he probably moved from the east coast at one point no 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 we are hardcore california italians that is rare that's amazing <laughs> usually the, the the hardcore california italians are in san diego oh really yeah there's a huge italian population mm. in san diego have you been i've been to the north to like their north beach there or their little italy yeah i wasn't that impressed no so, <laughs> and it, <laughs> what's the the little italy compare it to is it yeah, the san francisco one i mean one? i guess the the san francisco one yeah. and maybe i just a didn't get a good a good look yeah. um and i i'm from alameda and mm-hmm. born and raised right born and well raised in san leandro for about five years because my mom got sick of the alameda shit because mm-hmm. of, of like the small town and my brother being the age he was and like people starting to talk and just like oh, like like small pettiness. town gossipy yeah. yeah yeah so she moved to san leandro and then she found it was up there too um and so then we moved back um but was she used to living in a city at one point no or? no oh, okay. no they're alameda i'm i'm fifth generation alamedian oh wow as well as fifth wow. ge- because like everybody from our little town 
in Italy came right to Alameda. What, why is that? Why did this group of people target... Because they're a clan. Yeah. That's why. Right. <laughs> because Italians didn't do yeah. anything on their own. Like, they had to, like... One did it, they all did it. And I'm sure, like... I mean, did they just look at a map and they pointed and they were going there? Or was yeah. it... Like, you know, one guy came and he brought everybody else. Oh, that's usually the case, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. I think my family is the same way, actually. Now yeah. I think of it. My grandpa came and he brought everybody else with mm-hmm. him. Yeah. Um, but that's interesting. Uh now, you said that you got into comedy into 11th. By that time, were you still in Catholic school? Well, I was probably into comedy by the time I was like five or six. Like, I just loved it. And But I, when I was about like sixth grade was when I was like, I kind of want to be a comedian. Like as a career choice. Yeah. That's fascinating because at sixth grade, I think I wanted to be a, a, a cryptozoologist, you know, just traveling the world, look for, for rare animals. Mm-hmm. Never in my mind that it was entertainment there. Mm-hmm. So it's fascinating that you already had that imprinted you at su- such a young age. Yeah. And so through high school, were you, were you like the the cracking jokes kind of no I was weird okay yeah that's a really interesting question (laughs) because around eighth grade I realized that the weirder I was the more fluent I was um and because what do you mean by that because if you talk kind of like you're in a character (laughs) then it fakes people out that you're not stuttering um so like I turned into like I wouldn't say that I was inauthentic I turned into a person that was just weird and more like the Tom Green kind of weird mm-hmm. like um and you know like I would just do weird shit and um like was it just you or do you have like a, a group of friends that did um, weird shit together okay so for example um during high school and it's not like I'm really outgoing or anything like that so it was more like introverted stuff like I found a maxi pad um on the ground like like one that is in the box I don't know if you know yeah. this but yeah. but, but I, I, we I had a girlfriend them. before yeah, yeah so there you go <laughs> um and so <laughs> it was a maxi pad in the box so I knew that it was not used it was just there on the ground it was lunchtime and I happened to be eating french fries and I had ketchup and so I smeared it onto the maxi pad and I stuck it on yeah. the on the hallway. It was like an outside hall that everyone passed. Right. And so I stuck it up on there and then me and my friends, a couple of us, went and we just watched people lo- look at it. Yeah. <laughs> and that was really fun to me. <laughs> it's, it's almost it was displayed as a work of art. Right? Yeah, or it was just like <laughs> somebody had an emergency yeah. and they just, oh, I'll just just, just stick it here. Yeah. So, <laughs> Did a lot of people look at it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Everyone was like pointing at it. It was very pr- prominent and like yeah. 100 people passed yeah. during that lunchtime. So. And, and nobody took it down. No, no. I mean, who, who, who's going to touch it? Right. Okay. We're not dealing with that. Yeah. That's, uh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. And were you involved in other extra uh, activities? No, I, I, you know, I started working when I was 14 for oh, wow. my aunt. Yeah. What were you so doing? Um, I worked at a daycare and I worked there for like 10 years. Um, Kids, so, right? Yeah, yeah. So they yeah were, that's a hard job. I don't know how, how people do that. Like, Yeah, well, and especially for the pay they get. The yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because the pay was awful. My sister, she she uh, works for YMCA, and, mm. and they take care of the kids. And I'm like, how do you do it? Cause yeah. It's like one hour with me with a group of kids, I'm exhausted, mm-hmm. annoyed, and just like. And snot on you. 
Not yet. I had vomit. No. Not oh. snot. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. But that's interesting. So 14, daycare. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. How and was that? It, yeah. Well, I loved it because, you know, in part coming out of a Catholic school and then this was in public school now, um, like I, my, my self-esteem sucked. Like it was just super low. Um, I didn't, I never had anything that I was good at, um, because the teachers really wouldn't allow the uh, accommodations to show what I knew. I, and maybe there'd be like one project a year that I could really excel in. And did you have the disability at the time or just something that Mm -hmm. developed? Well, the learning disability and stuttering start, like the learning disability was diagnosed in third grade and the stuttering I think started probably in second or or third grade. And along with that, um, I had early articulation issues. So I started seeing a speech therapist when I was two and a half. Mm -hmm. Um, So like, it's been on a continuum, but like the place that it's impaired me the most or that I met the most discrimination was when I was in Catholic school. Yeah. And then moving into public school where they had IEPs or individualized education plans and stuff like that. Um, it was, um, it, I, I was able to engage, like my thing is, is that if you have a kid who has a learning disability or any other kind, and, and this is the kind of stuff that I go in and talk about at conferences and stuff, is that you have to find one thing that they're really good at, good in. And there's um, a guy, a learning disabled researcher by the name of Bob Brooks, I think, who's, who talks about the island of competency, that if your kid is only good at one thing, then make sure that they do that thing. Yeah. And for me, starting to work in daycare was a really important piece. That was like, oh, I'm kind of good at this. Like, yeah. makes I'm you feel good productive. at story time. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I think that's important. Yeah, it's feeling yeah. productive. Exactly. Yeah. My sister, she was diagnosed with learning disability oh. in, I want to say, fifth grade? Mm. No, sixth grade. No, see, I already forgot. But she got diagnosed with a learning disability. Mm-hmm. And she, uh, interesting enough, she one of the first career choices was to be was to be in speech therapy. Oh yeah. Yeah. She never followed through. Yeah. Was it interesting that you also at one point considered that route? Well, I I never worked in speech therapy. Like that mm. was never something that I was really like. I'm I'm interested in stuttering and I'm interested in those things, but it's definitely something like my very first speech ther- therapist when I was two and a half was Elaine Wells at Children's Hospital of Oakland and I've kept in touch with her my entire life and her husband stutters and we actually had the stuttering Christmas party a few years back where we invited the stuttering community so it's really cool to have somebody in my life who has like been there the entire time um and and, understands the struggle yeah yeah and 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 has seen it because like um, I, I think what's kind of hard having a disability is that it's not apparent and people don't know the experiences that you've been through. And I think for me, I was always friends with the kids who were kind of like the super s- 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 smart ones. And, I, and I'm putting that in quotation marks in quotes because yeah. <laughs> it's all re- relative. Mm-hmm. Um, but they don't always acknowledge or see the struggle that goes behind you. And that's why I think it's so important to find people who understand that. 
a, a sense of community. Exactly. Got it. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then what age did you do your first open mic? Um, at 36. Well, what came first, actually? Uh, conference, uh, public speaking or comedy? Public speaking. Came first. Because, like, I've, I, I've, I've been doing workshops on disability awareness and okay. stuff like that. And stand-up came later? Yes. Okay, and, and what was that milestone where you where you decide to go from public speaking, mm-hmm. and and then I mean, did you insert comedy in public speaking? Yeah, because I took a public speaking course, and they said that if you add some comedy into mm-hmm. it, that makes your presentation a lot more better. Yes, it, and then you followed through, and then you went to stand up. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, kind of. Um, you know, having wanted to do stand up my entire life. Um, and then getting away from it to go to school and to do other things. Um, I had this kind of this epiphany, this awakening when I went to the National Stuttering Association Conference in 2008 or 2009. And when I came back, um, I was a changed person. Because what happened there? It was, um, I realized how much space I was giving up to everybody else in my life. Because when you're a person who who stutters, especially a woman, um, like I kind of felt like I didn't want to put on you my 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 speech, like like so I would minimize my my my, my myself and not talk as much because of that. So I didn't assert my voice as much. And being at the stuttering conference and being around other women, especially who 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 had stuttered, I was like, you know, I am doing this. Would I want them to do it? No, of course not. So why am I internalizing the, those things? I came back. Um, I broke up with a guy that I was with for a really long time. Um, when, and it wasn't like okay. right away. I, I assume there's a lot more in that, into y- that. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was within a, that, that, a few that months. would have been quite an awakening. He's like, hey, honey, I'm back, but it's not going to work out. I have some girlfriends who stutter who had that exact thing happen. Oh, wow. Like, <laughs> because the guy it's a to powerful her. experience. Oh. No, that they went to the conference and came oh. back. It was like, no, I can't so, do this anymore. So it was, it was like uh, a sense of, um, what's the word? Because I don't want to see people travel. They realize a bigger perspective of mm-hmm. the world and life. Yeah. And what it has to offer. And they look back at the bubble that, that, that they lived. Mm-hmm. And they realize that they don't. sometimes it's okay to say no. Yes. Sometimes it's okay to say, I don't want to do something. Mm-hmm. But I do want to go this way. Yeah. And that's fascinating. And I think uh, a lot of people don't really realize that. A lot of people stick with this world. Or especially when you're comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. You don't even want to look the outside world. Yeah. But I've had a couple of epiphanies like that myself. Yeah. Um, but going back to you, I'm more interested in this conference. So you met yeah. more women mm-hmm. that you can relate to. Yes. And you brought up two interesting factors. One, someone with a, a learning disability mm-hmm. and one who's a woman. Mm-hmm. Two very hard things in, in today's society mm-hmm. or in most societies. Yeah. And then you decided to go into comedy, mm-hmm. which, you know, in comedy, it's not, they're not... Those a stuttering woman <laughs> no it's not just that There's, but but it's, it's harder for both yeah exactly so you really mm-hmm. took on this huge dragon yeah well the thing was i was okay so like i came back and i started to establish this new life and and i was like okay what's the one thing that i've wanted to do my all of my life and it was comedy um 
And like what I felt always was that I had to be fluent. I had to not st stutter in order to be a comedian. I was like, wait, what? No, of course not. Mm -hmm. That is a fallacy that I've told myself. Um, and that's and then and then I was also watching. Um, I think it was Dane Cook on HBO, and I was like. God, this isn't that funny, and this does not speak to me whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of people can relate to that. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> and a lot of people can't, unfortunately. Uh, um, but um, but then I was like, you know, there's uh, nobody who speaks my who speaks my perspective, and I w wanted to add to that. So it's always exciting to hear someone's different perspective in comedy. Yeah, like. like uh, that's one of the reasons why I encourage uh, a lot of people who say they like they want to do comedy but they don't feel like they can. Mm -hmm. It's like you should at least try it, especially when it comes to writing. Uh, when people ask me for advice about writing, they they always say, you know, you know, my life is boring and all that. It's like no, no, nobody's life is boring because we all deal with with conflict in our mm -hmm. lives. Yeah, and, and and look at someone like Seinfeld who's talking about you know socks missing from an oven or or missing from an oven. See, that's the LD part. That's the learning mm -hmm. disability where I say that socks are washed in an oven. Like that's <laughs> my my brain getting confused. Uh -huh. But socks missing from a washing machine. That's the most mundane thing. But he makes jokes out of it. Yeah. Okay. And then you're. You go, all right, I'm going to go into comedy because you have this unique perspective. Mm -hmm. Where was the first place you went to the open mic? Um, I, well, I did the comedy college for the first few months. Oh, in San Francisco? Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I started there. I took a class and then um, started doing, doing the open mics there. And then um, the first open mic that I did outside of that was one of Tony Sparks' mics. Um, and oh. it wasn't at the laundromat it, or, or the at the brainwash. It was... I've yet to go there myself. Oh, oh my God. You got to go. I know. Oh, okay. It's like a rite of passage. Yeah, to no, it totally is. Yeah. Um, and, um, and it was at some little bar in the Tenderloin. Um, and yeah, I just um, started doing it and grinding it out the first year. And then, you know, kind of kept on doing trainings on the side but then really starting to merge those about four years ago uh do you remember what the things you were joking about when you first starting out oh yeah like okay so the one thing that i i brought in was my me and my friend vana were with her friends and we were out one night at a at a bar and the bartender like came over trying to flirt w with us all and he's all okay I want to know everybody's name mm -hmm. and then he went through and I stutter and Vanna stutters and she was so gangster on this because she started to do and the guy did his hand like you know get right. get the rest of it out kind of a thing like I hurry and, up now yeah, yeah and I looked at her I was like oh <laughs> shit and she's doing and then she stopped and said um I stutter and you're just gonna have to wait and then she went right back into the fauna <laughs> and I was like oh shit um and so one of my first jokes was that I'm trying to get out my name yeah 
and and the guy does this and i yeah. say is that what a girl does when you take out your dick is uh-huh. like where's the rest of <laughs> yeah, it come on yeah <laughs> that's amazing uh, i i admire people like that that like you know they, they own up what they have and like all right if you want to even interact with me you got to deal with it and he, he and this is me mm-hmm. and i think in some ways i remember uh i, I gotta talk about it because when I sent you a message to get on here, yes, and, and you par- I'm paraphrasing, but you pretty much asked me, "Are you an asshole?" <laughs> and and, I, and I, like, it took me so aback. Mm-hmm. I was like, "Whoa!" And I, I actually really like questioned, like, "Am I an asshole?" Like I really had this super existential questioning of me. It's like mm-hmm. I never had a guest ask me if I'm an asshole. Yeah. Now I'm looking deep inside. Am I an asshole? Mm-hmm. And I'm like. I don't know. <laughs> so that's why I, I send you. I was like, you should check out my stuff yes. that you let me know. And that was good. And but, and, but then, and, but then a part of me, uh, I, I got a little worried because I was like, that for me that tells me that you've gone through a lot of experiences mm-hmm. where you you've been given false expectations, mm-hmm. only to be in a very uh, hostile environment. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm a stuttering female comic, of course. So you feel like it's a it's. A, it happens a lot. So you should, you and anybody else out there should check out my YouTube ch- channel, specifically my video um, on uh, where where I was heckled, and look at the comments and take a look at those because there's things on there like um, yeah. this is about as funny as a kick in the balls. She's fixed a stuttering. She, um, and I want to see her bu- 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 boobs. Like, there's like a combination the of YouTube things. YouTube comment sections, it's, it's got awful, and I'm afraid of it. You know? Yeah, yeah. Like, like I'm working on, a, I'm developing a web series right now, mm. and one of the biggest concerns is how am I going to deal with the YouTube comments? Yeah, fuck them. Fuck them. That's, well, it's, that's it's how hard. you deal with it. I, I mean, yeah. I mean, I guess over time you develop a tougher skin. Mm-hmm. But for me, there's that, 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 that small percentage that actually does let it mm-hmm. seep in. Yeah. And may not, may well, not, I should be and, your inspiration. And, and, it, <laughs> and, and it may not, like, you know, come out, like, hit me hard. Yeah. Well, it'll percolate. And over time, I just find myself just exploding randomly in a restaurant mm-hmm. over it. Yeah. You know, like, someone will say something and that reminds me of that one time I read someone's comment about me. And I'd be like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, <laughs> I'm not that fat. Yeah. You know? Well, and they're and they're and they're all just trolls, and that's why like I never engage. I just let it go, and then I retweet them or I post them on Facebook because it's like, dude, fuck you! Like, mm. like, oh, there's meat in my fridge that is funnier. Fuck you! I don't yeah. see you on here. You're a troll, right. and that's where it's just like. Um, you know, if you don't engage in it and put the energy in it and you're able to make fun of them in a way that you have the upper hand. And I think, you know, as a woman with a disability, um, that is something that I'm always kind of balancing out. And like, I was concerned about being on a podcast because I've had a few bad experiences where I've had to put the host in check. Like, wow. like, no, you're not going to say the word retard around me and mm-hmm. get away with it. You aren't going to like make me the butt uh, of your joke. Like, um, we are equals and I'm not going to let you in on that. Yeah. And I think the sad part about that is a lot, especially in podcasting, they're treating it as if it's um, radio and they look at shows a lot like a bit like Howard Stern, mm-hmm. 
where it's very sensationalized mm-hmm. and where the biggest ratings comes out of people being hostile with each other. Yeah. So they kind of like in some ways they kind of like want to manipulate in such a way where there's some to kind of conflict. Exactly. Mm-hmm. If- and, and like I love Stern. Um, and like for me, him, the first place that I ever saw anybody stutter openly, like, like where it wasn't like, oh my God, they're stuttering and they have to be hiding and all of that was on Stern when I saw stuttering John. And to me, that was a really important thing in my life Mm. was, was to see that. So I'm very grateful to him, but he also does it in a way that is like like okay for example mean dave i'm really cool with him he's like a brother yeah. he illustrated uh, my book you know mean dave right yeah yeah, yeah. I, I, I did uh his mic in livermore mm-hmm. the sanctuary yeah i was I there totally, last night i totally bombed yeah uh, well yeah. come back when there's more than four people there and, <laughs> yeah, maybe it'll be better but he's a cool guy yeah yeah no i love dave and yeah. like he can totally make fun fun of me and like like whenever he introduces me he says what can i say about nina that wouldn't take her longer to say Hmm. totally fine because there's love there right if there's no love fuck you you can't make fun of me well yeah it's like my best friends we make fun of each other but there's a relationship there There, yes there's trust that like i know that he doesn't mean it Mm -hmm. because i know who he is or she is Mm mm-hmm but I get it when someone in the streets like I randomly because me I'm very insecure so when somebody mm. in the streets like for some reason makes fun of me I get very like mm. pissed off and or I just get you know I say nothing and but, and then you think about it yeah. and you're in bed and like fuck that guy yeah. <laughs> uh, I want to go more and you mentioned you have a, a one person show yes that's interesting walk mm-hmm. me through that what's that sure. about and when did you start that um, it premiered April 1st of 2015, and um, it's a combination of comedy and storytelling. So it's a lot of the stories that I've been sharing, um, and um, in just the experience of being a person who stutters, who has learning d- disabilities. Um, and part of it's the name of it is Going Beyond Inspirational, because there's a thing in 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 the american culture and 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 elsewhere too but it's like oh you're such an inspiration like once i did a presentation at a library and a woman afterwards came up to me and said you are such a present you are such an inspiration if i were you i would never talk at all do you feel like i was like what the fuck is that do you feel like there's more pressure on you now that people are are saying you're inspiring yeah well to me it's objectifying Mm. That like because it's always inspirational about something just stupid. That it's not like an it's oh you're such an inspiration because you have harnessed your feminine power and you are using it on stage. It's not that. It's it's like politicized. You opened your mouth. Like it'd be like oh wow you you um woke up and you got dressed. You're such an inspiration. Right. And that and that's what a lot of people who have a disability experience is they will like there is a woman Bethany Stevens um who I'm friends with uh, on on Facebook and she's a disability activist um she posted something the other day or this was back in December um that a woman came up to her 
and said, here, I want you to have this 10 bucks. And, and, and Bethany uses a wheelchair and like she works at, at a college. She has her master's, I think. Like she's, she is the shit. She yeah. does not need some woman's money in the right. Walmart parking lot. Right. And it's that thing of like, oh, you know what? If I'm nice to you, then I feel better about uh, about myself. And the fact that you're even out and about, that is an inspiration. No, maybe she's an inspiration because she kicks ass all the time, but people don't choose to go the extra mile to find out people's stories because they keep it at, a, at, at the surface. Right, on the superficial level. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I guess, and that's a struggle for a lot of people with disabilities, is to be looked at as, as just being part of the mainstream. Yes. You know, not, not you know, people think of a charity case. Mm-hmm. It's like, hey, yeah, I, I'm different, and I'm my life is, is a little different, but I want to be recognized for my work, mm-hmm. not because of how I look or so on. Yeah, exactly, right? exactly. And if people could just get that in their brains, that... Mm-hmm. You know, to look deeper than just what you see and just what your own assumptions are about it, and and to question what the media's told you, because mm-hmm. they've oftentimes presented it in this, like, oh, they're such an inspiration way. Everybody should question everything exactly. when it comes to the media. Everything. <laughs> everything. Yes. Uh, okay, and and this, I went on a tangent, but on your one person show, mm-hmm. uh, you you were talking about that. And for me, one person show was like a mixture of of stand up and theater. Mm-hmm. Why did you chose to do that, and I just do like a, a special? Oh, um, good question. Um, you know, I think that I wanted to do a lot more s- s- storytelling, and um, the one person show felt like I could do more of that. That it wasn't dick joke, dick joke, dick joke. Um, because I, for me, when I do storytelling, it's different than when I do comedy. Um, that the um, cadence and the and the timing is different. Mm. That I can take my time more. That and you know, it's kind of a, a throwback to comedy in the '60s. That you could develop more of a story, but I think people now their palate is. Uh, set up punchline kind of thing that doesn't allow for people to really develop their point of view as much. Yeah. Yeah. I think that came I think that came with the comedy boom yep. in the nineties. Where there was just such an explosion of comedians and it, it you know, shows like Last Comic Standing, it's like you go there and you see like people don't know people who want to get into comedy, they emulate what they see in the media, like you yes. mentioned. Like, oh, my God. Like, Louis C.K., oh, my God, he does new jokes every year. So I need to, like, really do that. <sighs> and then that shame thing. Everybody yeah. asks, oh, yeah, I masturbated in the shame about. Like, just, oh, God, well, just come up with your own thing. But that's the thing. <laughs> it, 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 I think a lot of people, um, you know, I, I feel like I talk about this too much. Uh, uh, but but pretty much stuff like sex, uh, stuff like, you know, uh, politics, to a certain extent, they're cheap jokes. You know, mm-hmm. the, the, the jokes usually about things it's not so much about the shock value it's more about superficial things yeah like uh, oh they said that that means laugh yeah or that or or like it's very you know I guess you, you hit a pretty spot on actually mm-hmm. now that I think about it uh, instead of really looking at themselves and like we mentioned 
perspective. Yeah. How do you see this world? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. If you're going to make a dick joke, all right, what is it about the you view fallacies that makes it different and funny at the same time? Yeah. And, and that's something that I'm, you know, always trying to push for, you know, because yeah. I, I run a, a open mic at Cafe Friscotti. Oh, okay. And it's not a blue room. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I, I'm, I'm really, you know, encouraging uh, comedians to really be careful because it's a family environment. Yeah. And a lot of comedians interpret that as censorship. Yeah. But I'm like, no, I'm not telling you to, I'm not telling you not to touch certain content. That's the difference. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you to to just make some effort and how you deliver them. You know, like I had a guy saying fuck every uh, two seconds. Yeah. But it's like, okay, dude, it's like, do you need to say that much? Does that enhance the joke? Mm-hmm. No, it distracts from the joke. So stuff like that. And I think people, when they're first starting out, they Depend don't... Depend on that. They, they don't really think of it that way. Yeah. Well, and and that first, you know, like, sometimes people just want to get on stage and say, like, shocking things. Like, nobody's else ever done that. Like, like... Well, I think deep inside, I'm not sure if you... I I think most comedians, maybe you can relate. Deep inside, the root of us, the, 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 the action of standing in front of a group of strangers, holding a microphone to make sure that we can be heard, Mm kind of infers a sense of validation from them mm-hmm. their laughter validates that you, that they like you yeah maybe they don't you know really like you for real maybe they but at least you know they don't dislike you yeah and i think there's a, a very like psychosis thing about people like maybe in our upbringing perhaps mm-hmm. i don't know that kind of goes yeah they like me right now they like what i'm saying and i think people who don't want laughs but go for shock value are people who have really never been heard mm. in most of their lives. Yeah, maybe. And they feel that, that, that maybe to be heard, they need to do something out, totally outrageous and shock mm. to be noticed. Yeah, that's or, interesting. Or am I reading it too much? No, I mean, I think in... Yeah, I mean, I think it, it's, it's different for everybody, but I could really... that I think that's a really interesting perspective. For example, like, I, you know, there's so... Like, some people... like. Some people I think is evil. Like I do think some people are evil, and they tend to get into open mic comedy. <laughs> actually, <laughs> actually, I haven't met anybody who's evil in comedy. And by evil, that's because the San Jose group yeah. might be a little nicer. Nicer, really? Okay. <laughs> uh, well, so far I haven't. Uh, but I'm talking about like like people who have manipulated and mm. destroyed relationships, destroyed people's livelihoods. Mm. And my friend, you know, who's aka my spiritual advisor. Uh, uh, not officially, but mm-hmm. kind of is. He goes, Jorge, you need to realize that these people, you know, these people such as Hitler or such as anybody that you consider evil, mm. they're the ones who need love the most. Mm. And Hitler was an artist. Yeah, <laughs> should have stayed an artist. But I, but he was telling me that you know people that you see that are are exploitive or that are are just out there to cause a bit of chaos. It is because they lived with chaos. That's the environment they grew up in. Sometimes yeah. they need someone to be like, hey, I'm listening. Mm-hmm. I'm here. Yeah. And, and something so small and mundane can go a long way. You know, and what's interesting is sometimes when we live in chaos, we have a tendency to recreate that chaos. So they might be looking for the, the validation, but when it goes wrong or when they don't get what they want it could be that they then reenact that thing that they 
grew up in. Yeah. And in comedy can be a lot of chaos. So we, we got out of your one-person show. Now, you mentioned you had a book. Yes. So you write. I, I think that's great. Uh, tell me a bit about your book. Um, sure. It is a children's book um, called Once Upon an Accommodation, a book about learning disabilities. And um, so the text is by me, and the illustrations are by Mean Dave. I'm so curious. Is, is it available on Amazon? Yeah, no. It's Amazon, CreateSpace. Um, uh. It's totally out there. People can check it out. There is a sample of the workbook because I added a workbook in it so that kids can learn how, and and also adults, can learn how to verbalize the disability that they have and to ask for an accommodation. So it kind of coaches them through that. So people can get that for free on Nina G Comedian dot com and look for the book so tell me more about the inception of the idea of i'm gonna write a book mm -hmm. not just any book a children's book yeah um you know it was um like i part of my work that i've done the past 10 or 15 years has been in higher education and disability so working with college students who are trying to access the, the, the their education, um, and they all have di di disabilities, and just kind of seeing what they've been through, and knowing that the advocacy part and verbalizing the disability that you have and the need you have is so hard and difficult, and it's something that isn't directly taught. And I wanted to have a book where it directly taught people how to do that. Okay. Great. How long ago did you write it? Um, it's been out for about three years. And how long did it take for you to write it? Oh, how long did it take? You know, it was in different inceptions and stuff like that. It probably took about two years. Yeah. Yeah, on and off and working with Dave to get the um, j drawings and to match all that up. Wow, that's amazing. Mm -hmm. I got to check that out. Yeah. Um, uh, I'll, I'll I'll give you a copy on the way out because I have a bunch. Oh, of really? Car. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like I like how you carry it around. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. I try and sell do, them do, when do, I do gigs. And do, stuff. do you sign them? As yes. Well? That's, yeah. That's yeah. People like, and I don't get why people want me to to sign them, but sure, I'll uh, do it. You don't get it? Why not? <laughs> I don't. It's just weird to me. Like that that, that kind of stuff's weird. So. Why? Because who, who am I? I'm, I'm just, you know, someone who has a book. Like, <laughs> and, you know, and I have to come up with, like, things to say. So I just sign right. everything. That's always the worst advocating. part, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, the worst part is, like, like you want you expect me to say something good. I, I, I just don't want to deal with it. Yeah. You know, just, <laughs> I get that a lot sometimes. Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, people, uh, the community, I usually, you know, because I, I do so many different things and people are like, how do you do it? Jorge? I'm like, mm -hmm. I don't know how to do it. Like, yeah. I don't even think about it. Yeah, you can't. Uh, but, but but they're like, you know, give me some advice. I'm like, dude, I'm the worst person to give advice. You know, mm -hmm. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. <laughs> you know? uh, that's great. Uh, tell me a bit about your creative process when it comes to mm. comedy or writing. H how do you approach a subject and how do you do, uh, mold it? You know, I think there's like kind of like two general strains. One is like there's a concept that I really want to talk about and I think about it and I do things around it. Da, da, da. Um, and that is a longer process. Then the other process is someone says something so fucked up that I have to put it in my act. 
And so, for example, once, um, God, what was it? It was so long ago, and I've kind of taken the joke out, or I blended it in with something else. Um, oh, God, what was it? Well, some guy at the brainwash, um, he, he started to make fun of my stuttering, and I was like... Yeah, that's not cool. Like on, well, you're on stage. No, no, no. This oh. was off st- stage. He's just being a dick. Yeah, he's just being a dick. Oh, did you know? Comedian him? dick. No, no, oh, no. That's, I did. That's even worse. Exactly. <laughs> and that see, that's the thing. <laughs> and he said something, and then um, he then he said um, he he said, oh no, it's okay. I can make fun of you because my uncle st- st- stutters. And um, and then he's so. I'm so sorry. I, I'm offended. Yes. It's like, what the fuck? What does that even mean? Yes, exactly. Okay. And then he said something else. And then, um, and then like, I turned that into a joke, which I've forgotten about. I need to uh, look you, at my notes from have, back then. Have you performed in front of him? Um, no, he was one of those guys who's like, oh, this week I, I'm a comedian. Next week I'm not. Like, you know, okay. he wasn't a grinder. Who, and I'm sure a, he's been in and out. He was a hobbyist tourist yeah exactly i just made that up yeah hobbyist tourist that's a good term for a lot of them (laughs) (laughs) okay so so you think about an idea and over time you you write it down or 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 something just happens it was like uh, this just wrote itself yeah Yeah. (laughs) and so i have to talk about it It, it's interesting when you get those moments where you're like you know i can't make this shit up Mm -hmm. you know like there's sometimes you know life is stranger than fiction you know yeah well and that's where like the comedy that i've 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 tend to really enjoy two streams of comedy one is a more absurdist kind of thing like um emo phillips or like old woody allen was like just like it's just weird mm-hmm. um and then the other is stuff around race and like i was raised on richard prior like my mom brought me to see Richard Pryor live at the Sunset Strip when I was eight years old. You went to... To the movie. Oh. To the movie. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so, like, I've been exposed to stuff around race, and that's absurd. Like, the fact that people experience discrimination in this world is, like, so absurd. Hmm. And, like, the way that comedians talk about that to me is really interesting and to talk about the uh, absurdity of that interesting uh race yeah that's you those are subjects you really gotta put some brain power to because mm-hmm. uh, i i've heard and seen comedians tackle that subject and just horribly make it worse yes <laughs> <laughs> but then i've seen comedians actually make a very good point mm-hmm. um well, and I feel that comedy is kind of the last free speech thing we have that um, is so, 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 so subversive that you could really try to identify the things that are wrong in our culture through comedy, whereas other, other, in that, and that's to me the most interesting part. See, that's interesting. So I had a conversation about that, mm-hmm. and to I agree with it to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. Because I, I, I do feel stand-up comedy is perhaps a more lively uh, medium of free speech. But I, I would make the argument that it's not the last form yeah. of free speech. I think the, like films, theater plays, poetry, 
people have poetry i think uh, is definitely one yeah and where people would touch subjects Mm -hmm. and people have gone to this day in this world have gone to jail yeah for the films they made for the poetry they've made just just like in stand-up lenny bruce yeah but lenny bruce but how about now in today's time you know like yeah like an example i used was in saudi arabia a poet Mm. is is in death row for his poetry yeah Yeah, how does that make sense you know what i'm saying yeah um and he granted you know there's also uh, we had that comedian in egypt Mm -hmm. who got imprisoned uh, so my point is spoken word spoke- yeah because I think that you don't hide behind any of the lyrics and the music it's just you no the poetry the poet wasn't even a spoken word poet really yeah yeah but but, wow. but that's the point I'm trying to make yeah. is I, I do believe uh, stand up comedy is a great sense of, of free speech but at the same time it's I think there's a broader perspective of other mediums mm-hmm. that are on yeah. that level yeah and can be dangerous Mm-hmm. Concerning the subjects you tackle, yeah, you know, and Lenny Bruce, you know, he really paved the way for the free speech and comedy. Yeah, but I can't think of in today's time of of a, of a comedian. Actually, it's a little different now. Now with the internet, yeah, I I think a lot of comedians is a little dicey. Say I, more. Yeah, well, not because because when it comes to free speech, it implies that the government is is the one controlling. Yeah. But in today's time, it's, it's PC. Not 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 PC. I don't. I think PC. It's people make PC a bigger issue than it really is. Yeah, I, I think, think so too. So for me, it's more about the mob mentality of this country when it comes to the internet mm-hmm. and the media. Yeah, you, you know, and kind of like the polarizingness that yeah. you have to be Fox News yeah. or Rachel Maddow. Yeah, because to say you don't have, you know, I, I think. W- People themselves, in some cognitive, collective way, are censoring each other. Yeah. And they love to blame a group of people, or or the government, but it's it's them, you know. Mm-hmm. It, it, and it's, I find that frustrating, because it's like you mentioned YouTube comments. It's like that shit is is horrible. Like you know, people have committed suicide over cyberbullying. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And it, it's, I guess, the point I'm trying to make. Is, I guess comedy is 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 is, in some ways, a last form of free speech. But the ones who are censoring is society. It's no longer the government or yeah. or, or or an organization entity mm-hmm. necessarily. Well, and that's where doing comedy now, where like I know that I would never be on TV because they don't have stuttering women uh, on TV. You can't be. A stuttering person of color on TV like because you can only be one thing and um, I don't see a lot of integration there mm-hmm. and so I you know fuck to TV I can do my own thing I can be um, uh, on my YouTube channel and I can produce there and I can produce whatever I want to do I can have a book and I can have that book be whatever I want because mm-hmm. it's it, it, it is self-published. I don't need someone to say, you know, can you make this a little more inspirational? Right. Screw you. Yeah. I can do my own thing. No longer you have to deal with the gatekeepers. Yes. Oh, that's great. Mm-hmm. But And for me, I think it's good and bad. I think that's great yeah. in a sense. And, and for me, that's pressure on you to deliver good content. Yes. Because rule of law of when it comes to, to, to economics is if you have a good product... 
people will buy. Mm-hmm. And if you market it well and all that crap. Yeah, and the marketing piece is <laughs> <some> real headache. <laughs> but then that also allows for a lot of crap yeah. to be put out there. Yeah. And so you have to really consider... Discernible. You know, so, and this is stuff I deal with in filmmaking. This mm-hmm. is stuff that's like, oh my God, like, like uh, or in writing in general. It's like, these are issues I, I, I really question myself. It's like, what, if, is what I'm making good enough? Mm-hmm. I'm spending quite a few money bit of money yeah or I, I have these actors driving from god knows where yeah am i wasting their time i really hope not mm-hmm. i really hope that my content is good i hope this podcast is good i hope the, 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 the i'm not wasting my guests time yeah. on here or the people who are listening and i think people maybe it's just me maybe I, i'm like too neurotic when it comes to those things yeah but it's kind of you if like you don't have someone saying oh maybe this isn't the best thing it's important that you have a dialogue for yourself so that you know if you know that like you're the check instead yeah. of somebody else and, and this goes back to comedy because because yeah. well, i'm talking about your, your creative process and writing do you self-check yourself or do you have like a partners that help you out mm-hmm. i mean jokes i i um start to work on a concept and, and I'll do it on stage and I'll see how it goes. I'll try to craft it. I think also with the stuttering, sometimes I need to um, formulate my punchline in a different way than most comics would. And so there's a lot of work going into that. And I vet stuff probably way too long. Like I won't go up on the punchline stage unless I vetted something a lot. And then for me personally, because I tend to look at this through an activist lens I look at it too much mm-hmm. like I'm all okay well what am I saying like I will never make a joke where stuttering is the butt of the joke like I will make fun of my big Italian nose I will not make fun of my st- stuttering mm. and so overthinking it for me is a big thing too oh. you don't have a big Italian nose I don't know what you're talking I about I don't know <laughs> big, good look. my mom says that yeah. it's a small Italian nose it's a small Italian yeah. nose <laughs> Now, tell me more about this um, group of comedians uh, mm-hmm. that I've seen you perform. It's yeah. the Comedians with the Disabilities Act? Yes. So it's the Comedians with the Disabilities Act, which was originally, um, it was um, originally built um, through Michael uh, uh, O'Connell in collaboration with Keith Lold Jensen, who's been like the greatest ally in this. Um, and so Michael had this idea. He started working with Eric Mee, who is blind and lives in, in Sacramento, along with all those guys that I just t- talked about. Then they got Steve Danner involved. Steve Danner is a little person. My- Michael uses a wheelchair. Um, and then I got involved with that. And then it just kind of grew. We have other people. Like, it's the four of us. But... We've invited other comedians that have disabilities um, in as special guests. And Jacob Morrow has performed with us recently. Queenie TT, Lauren Kraut. Queenie TT. Steve Lee. She's amazing. Yes. I, I, I've seen her perform. Yeah. She she just rocks the show. Exactly. Yeah. And so um, all those guys except for Jacob who was... Um, I, I don't even know if he started doing comedy back then, but they're all on the CD that you can order through Amazon, but order it through s- 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 
TD baby because it's cheaper there. Um, it's disabled c- comedy only, and mm-hmm. you can find it on Pandora and all those platforms as well. And I assume you guys are, are touring. Yeah, together? so we do at times. Yes. Okay. Um. So um, Eric and Steve recently had babies, so you know we aren't able to do as much as we did. A few years back, but we were always doing shows how and far, setting those up. How far into comedy were you when you were introduced to that group? Um, about a year and a half. Okay. Yeah. Wow, that's great. So mm-hmm. pretty early on in your comedy career. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Well, I had heard about them, and I love the title of it, which is the Comedians with Disabilities Act, because it's named after the Americans <laughs> with yeah Disabilities Act, and it just you know kind of emphasizes the civil rights issues that are involved in in being a person with a disability. Now, from your first year of comedy mm-hmm. to your current year of comedy, yes. How do you feel you transitioned, or how do you feel you have changed? Um, I think that I'm less focused on wanting to go up at clubs, like. What I've found is I really love doing colleges. I love doing the stuff where, like, they come to see me and I get paid pretty well and I'm able to make a a difference. Like, I really like that. But I also, for some reason, I'd prefer being at a dingy gross open mic or not even an open mic like one of those shows that are in a dive bar on a Sunday night that just go badly like I love those yeah Yeah, that's where a lot of magic happens yeah Yeah. I love that and like for me like when I was a teenager dreaming about doing comedy I dreamt about that oh yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) you dream about dingy places dark dark rooms just awful things. A couple things. drunks in the a back. A couple of drunks who <laughs> are, you know, saying, show, show, show us your tits. Like, to me, that is that is comedy. And I love that. I love having those horrible experiences. Yeah. Which, you know, I'm sure there's something wrong with me. <laughs> <laughs> I can relate to that yeah. to a certain extent. Well, and I think that the pressure's off. You can just do your thing and not have to worry about impressing anybody. Or, or inspiring anybody. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's the opposite of inspiration. <laughs> All right, Nina, we hit that one hour mark. Okay, I great. I should start closing down about now. Mm-hmm. Uh, please let people know where they can check out your stuff and, mm-hmm. and stuff. Plug in whatever you need to plug in. Okay, great. Thank you. Um, so please check me out at ninagcomedian.com. There you'll find the book. You'll find the CD or the download. Um, also, if you want to book me for either my one-person show, it, it works well for um, be- be- benefits. I can clean up. I don't have to say the word fuck all the time. So please keep that in mind, too. But I do lots of colleges and stuff like that so i look forward to hearing from everybody great great uh thank you for coming it's been a pleasure thank talking you. to you 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 haven't offended me once so i really appreciate that good 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 <laughs> you, you uh, aren't an asshole so you can reflect and <laughs> tell yourself that uh you know i don't know uh, offend like sometimes i offend people involuntarily mm-hmm. but I don't know. It's it's weird. It's like, do, 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 were you ever in that situation where you accidentally offended somebody? Oh, of course. Yeah. 
and, and you just have to have um, some you you, you humility about it that like yeah. oh yeah I screwed up I'm sorry I will not do that again so it's like that when going back when you when you asked me if I was an asshole before coming to the podcast like, yeah. for a good week I was like questioning my entire podcast work <laughs> it's like did I see Devin say anything offensive I don't know maybe <laughs> uh, probably most likely oh my god what am I doing with my life <laughs> uh, no but, but but you brought a very interesting notion to me which is that uh and I think it's, you know, because a lot of people, when they do podcasts, they're like, oh, I want this certain feel or the tone. And I'm like, for me, I'm very casual. I don't really care yeah. where it goes. But with that comes a sense of responsibility as well. It's like, you know, whatever's put out there, you need to own up to it, yeah. good, or, good or bad. Yeah. Just like uh, when, when it comes to joke writing. Because um, I've written jokes that were pretty fucking bad. Mm -hmm. But I had to go through that shit to make it better. Exactly. Um, to, to come out the other side. Right. And, and it's a process that I think a lot of people outside in general don't really realize, you know, especially when it comes to the writing. When I write screenplays, when I'm setting up scenes, mm -hmm. so I go through a lot of shitty scenes that's so cliche, but it takes me stepping back and realizing it's cliche. I should work on that. Yeah. 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 As opposed to coming, oh, no, it's good enough. You yeah. Know, being very and arrogant. it in and yeah. Or just being arrogant about your work. Yeah. No, no, and I, th I think it's good for us as artists, especially now because of the do-it-yourself thing, that we really need to question that and put out the best work we can. All right. Well, that's my little rant. All right. Thank you, All Nina right. G, for coming. Thank you, Jorge.